When you think about Jesus, what is the picture in your mind of who Jesus is? Because more than likely, you have an image, right? But when I say, who is Jesus, you're thinking, oh, this is what Jesus looks like. But then you're also thinking, this is what Jesus would have been like. This would have been his personality traits. And so we've, we've taken those two and we put them together. And, and in our minds, all of us have this, this image, this idea of who Jesus is. Now, now, where does that come from? That comes from usually our past, our religious background. It comes from our family background. It comes from maybe our education, our experiences. And so we put maybe even movies that we've seen. We put all of this data together. And so in our minds, when I say, what is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? We've got this, this picture of, of who Jesus is. Well, this morning as we start this series, I want to show you five pictures of, of who maybe some of you think Jesus is. And um, before I go into this, just stay with me, okay? So don't get angry and take me outside and, and say you're going to stone me or something. But here's our first Jesus. This is Euro Jesus, all right? Some of you probably think this is Jesus and what he looks like. First off, he's white and he's got blue eyes and blonde golden hair. Let's just be honest, people. Jesus was in the Middle East. He's Jewish. He didn't look anything like Euro Jesus, did he? Now, this Jesus to me is just a little scary. I'm just going to throw that out there. Not probably the, the Jesus I want my kids hanging around, but, but this is Euro Jesus. Then we have this Jesus, overly friendly Jesus. This Jesus is like, I just love you. I bless you. you know, can, I, can I give you a hug? And he's the kind of guy who just gives you a hug, but it's one of those big bear hugs that just swings you around. Like, hey, put me down, please, Jesus. But we have overly friendly Jesus. And again, this Jesus is a little strange to be around sometimes because just, just it's overly friendly. And then we have this Jesus, we have angry Jesus. Now, I'm going to stop here and say, this Jesus is probably a Jesus a lot of people have in their mind when they think about Jesus, right? But we, we have Jesus who is angry. Jesus doesn't care the good things that we do. Jesus doesn't care the, the way we're living our life. All Jesus cares about is, is, are we doing the right things? And if we're not, then this Jesus is judgmental. And, and this Jesus loves punishing people. And so for some people, this is the, the image of Jesus that we have. We have angry Jesus. And then we have this Jesus, political Jesus. <laughs> it's funny, but it's not, because I think this has actually become something that people are kind of connecting with right now in, in, our, in our world. But this Jesus is like, hey, I got more important things to deal with than you. You know, what you have to deal with in your life, those are just petty. I've got big things I got to deal with. I, I got to take over the government. I, I got to lead in this way. We got, we got to turn into a Christian nation. And so this is what my role is. And so some of us, this is the Jesus that, that we have pictured in our mind. But the last Jesus, I think, is the Jesus everybody really wants. And here it is, buddy Jesus. <laughs> this Jesus is your BFF. I mean, we, we love this Jesus. Hey, you want to go, go work out, Jesus? Yeah, let's go work out. Yeah, you want to go get some chicken wings, Jesus? Yeah, let's go eat some chicken wings. Let's go have a beer together. Let, let's, go, let's go on the trail together. Let, let's go see a movie, a game together. And so this Jesus is a Jesus that many of us love because this Jesus is like, hey, you do whatever you want to do. I'm there beside you all the time. He's not judgmental. He doesn't condemn us. And for many of us, this is the Jesus that, that we picture in our mind that we would love to just hang out with because this Jesus doesn't judge us, doesn't condemn us, and it's just somebody we hang out with. Now, I don't know for you, maybe one of those Jesuses do connect with you. Maybe it's a little bit of, of all of them together. 
But, but when you think about Jesus, who is Jesus to you? As we begin the series today, Jesus is blank. What we're going to do over the next four weeks as we head into Easter is that we're going to put a word into that blank every single week. And my hope is that as we go through this series, those words will begin to really define who Jesus truly is to each one of us. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 4. John 4, we're going to actually be spending our whole time in this, um, in this story. It's a story that you may be familiar with. It's the story of the Samaritan woman. Uh, there are Bibles there in front of you. You can grab one of those. I looked up the page earlier and I forgot, so you can find it on your own. Uh, John chapter 4. If you have your Journey Church app, you can open it up, follow along there, and then also you can follow along and take notes on your program this morning. But John chapter 4, starting with verse 1, here's what it says. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Uh, we always got to make a competition out of everything, don't we? And that's what we see happening here. There's this competition that has begun to be thrown out there. Who is making the bigger impact? Is it Jesus or is it John? And so Jesus is like, this is dumb. This is not why I'm here. I'm not even baptizing these people. I'm out of here. So he decides to leave Jerusalem and to go north into Galilee. Look at verse 4. It said, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Um, if you're familiar with the story, then you, you know that part of talking about the story is understanding the things that are happening between these two groups of people. Uh, we have the, the Jews, and we have the Samaritans. Uh, they did not like each other. And, and it wasn't like one of those things where they just went over the border and they TP'd each other's homes. This wasn't that type of thing. It was much bigger than that. Uh, the Jews were, they thought they were superior to the Samaritans. They were full-blooded. They were Jewish. But the Samaritans were, were half-Jew. And then over the course of time, these five other nations had been brought into that area and they had intermarried with the Jewish people. And so they were not only half-Jew, they were half some other nation. And so the Jewish people looked down on them. The Samaritans couldn't understand why they, they looked down on them. And so there was this, this tension that was there. And they did some horrible things. The Jews would go into the Samaritan temples. Uh, one time they actually just knocked one down. They destroyed a city. Uh, the Samaritans would go into the Jewish temples, and they would do very similar things. They would knock them down. They would, they would cause havoc in there, even death. There's a story in history of where this group of Jews were coming down from Galilee and they were going to Jerusalem for one of the feasts. I think it was the Passover feast. This is around 52 AD, I believe. And the, um, the Samaritans, as they, these Jewish people were coming through Samaria, they actually massacred this large group of, of Jewish pilgrims. Again, this, this isn't just some friendly little, you know, my team and your team going against each other. Now, this is true, real hatred between these two groups of people. And so here in our story, we, we see Jesus, and he's traveling from Jerusalem up to Galilee. I, I think we have a map we're going to show you here. Maybe a little bit hard to see. <clears throat> but he's down in the southern end, down in Judea and Jerusalem area, and he's going up to Galilee. There were three routes you could take to do that. 
One you could go up along the Mediterranean Sea. The other one you could go around through the Jordan River, which is the, the direction most people went, because you didn't want to interact with the other group of people. Now, the other route you had was you could go straight from Jerusalem to Galilee up through the middle of Samaria, which was the shortest route. It would take you three days to do that. This was a, a risky move by Jesus, so he decides to take this route, and he stops in this little town called Sakar. It was about a, a day and a half travel from Jerusalem, and this is moving at a pretty good pace. And so he's tired, he's worn out, and he stops at this well to grab a drink of water. Look at verse 7. It says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. A couple of abnormal things that are happening here. Um, the, first, the timing. We find out a little bit earlier when Jesus stops at noontime. Uh, so it's noontime, and you have this woman who is out getting water. Now, the normal time for women to go out and get water, because that was part of their role in that culture, was that they would go in the morning or the evening when it was the cool part of the day. And they would go there because part of what they were doing, they were connecting with other ladies. They, they were building relationships. They were learning about each other's families, trading recipes, talking about the community, what's happening in the community. And here's this Samaritan woman who's there in the heat of the day at noontime alone. And then there's a cultural piece here. And, and she brings it up. She's like, whoa, whoa, hold up a second you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. We, we hate each other. And not only that, but you're a Jewish man and I'm a Samaritan woman. I mean, that, that's about as far apart as you could get. Uh, the, um, the, the Jewish religious leaders, as we've talked before, they kind of added more laws and rules to the ones that were already there. And so one of them was, hey, when you go out in public, men, don't talk to any woman that's not your wife. And the whole idea being, if you, if you do, somebody may see that and think you're trying to have an affair with that, 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 that woman. And so they were like, don't talk to me. In fact, it got to the point, they said, don't even talk to your wife outside your house. This is how pious they were trying to be. And so here's a Samaritan woman who looks at that. She knows these rules, these laws. And so she says, hey, you're Jewish and a man, and I'm a Samaritan and a woman. We should not be talking at all. And so we see these sort of abnormal things beginning to take place within our story verse 10 jesus answered her if you knew the gift of god and who it is and ask you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you get this living water are you greater than our father jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock if you look in there, Jesus uses this, this phrase. He says, living water. Uh, the Jews and the Samaritans, again, there was that Jewish connection, but their, their faith was different in some aspects. For, for the Samaritans, they only followed the Genesis through Deuteronomy books of our Old Testament. That was it. That's where it ended. Of course, for the Jewish people, it, it went into the rest of our Old Testament that we have, and that's what they connected with. That's, that's what they read. All throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we find this imagery of living water. And so if she was fully Jewish, she would have understood what that living water meant. But she's not. And so when he says, I've got this living water, she's like, well, how are you going to get this water? I, I mean, the, this well is deep. I think it was over 100 feet deep. 
you know, you don't have a, a bucket with you. Are, you. are you a magician? You're just going to make it magically happen and appear? Because this doesn't make any sense to me. What you're saying doesn't make any sense. You say you have this living water to give me, but yet I don't see any way that you're going to be able to get the living water that you're talking about. Look at verse 13. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. The verb for that word, that phrase there, welling up, means to jump up. And so when Jesus talks about this living water and, and giving it to her, it, it means it's going to well up in her, it's going to jump up in her, that, that all she can do is use this living water inside of her to move, to tell other people about it. And, and yet if we, we look here, and we see this a couple times, she's, she's got some sarcasm going on, doesn't she? You know, she, she looks at Jesus right here in, in this moment, like, oh, oh, you're such a great man. Oh, oh, I, I see. You, you, you think you're, you think you're, you're special. special. Show me how I can get this, this living water. But what do we know about sarcasm? There's always a little grain of truth, right? And do you notice what she says there at the very end? She says, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's saying, and I truly believe this, she's saying, please give me something so I don't have to show up here at noon every single day where the whole community sees what I'm doing She's telling on herself, they know who I am. Man, I would do anything not to be put in this position over and over again daily. See, there's some truth in, I think, the sarcasm that we find here from this woman. And what does Jesus do? Jesus then takes that a step further. Verse 16, he told her, go back, excuse me, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. We see those words, and maybe you think, oh, that's pretty harsh, Jesus. I can't, I can't believe you're saying that, but, but there's truth in what Jesus said. In fact, it's true. This is her life. This is her story. These are the decisions that, that she has made in her life. And Jesus isn't saying this because he wants her to feel guilty. He's not trying to make her feel bad know what he's doing he's confronting her about the relationships that she's had in her life over and over and over again because again he wants to help her he wants to say hey there, there's a better relationship for you there there's something better for you you don't have to go out through your life trying to find that this this feeling to this this hole that you have in your heart and your soul because you're doing it through these men you're doing it through these relationships jesus says hey i've got living water and you'll never have to thirst for anything like that ever ever again look at verse 19 sir the woman said i can see that you are a prophet our ancestors worshiped on this mountain but you jews claim that the place where we must worship is in jerusalem she acknowledges that he's different doesn't she she acknowledges he has a supernatural ability that that maybe he is the, this prophet as as he seems to be because he's He's given her some information that he shouldn't have known. But, but do you notice that she does something after she acknowledges that? She changes the subject. She changes the subject. She's like, oh gosh, I don't want to talk about that. 
Yep, yep, that's why I'm here in the middle of the day. Um, hey, I'm going to bring up this worship controversy. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Because I don't want to talk about my life. And so she goes into this dialogue, this question about where's the right place to worship? Are we supposed to worship at the Jerusalem temple for the Jewish people or the Sumerian temples for, for the Sumerians? Where's the right place to worship, Jesus? She totally changes the subject right here in this moment. How many times do we do that? We go through our life. We make choices. We make decisions. Sometimes we do really well and sometimes we make terrible ones. And, and what happens in those moments we have a past to live with, don't we? We have hurt and pain and struggles that are there in our lives, and we have to deal with that. And somebody jumps in our life and says, hey, can I help you? I, I know you're in a tough time. Can, can I support you? Can, can we talk through this a little bit? Because I feel like you're making some decisions that, are, that aren't great for you, and you're, you're seeing the experience of that. You're, you're seeing the outcome of that. And what do we do sometimes when people get too deep into our stuff, into our messiness? We're like, hey, thank you. Yeah, I think I'm good. Hey, how about that ball game last night? It was a great ball game, wasn't it? I don't think you and I are a whole lot different than the Samaritan woman here. We change the subject when it comes to, to really getting to a place of health. We change the subject specifically when it comes to Jesus. And here in our story, we find that with this woman. See, we're so imprisoned by our past. We're so imprisoned by our choices and our decisions. We, sometimes I don't even think we want to get out of that. We, we don't want to break free from that. Same as the Samaritan woman. We change the subject because we're afraid of what the future may look like for us. But look at verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. We read through those words, and again, this Samaritan woman is trying to define Define what worship is supposed to be. And Jesus says, hey, it's bigger than that. He says it's not about these places that we worship or you worship. It's, it's bigger than that. It's about the connection that we have with God. And this living water that I have for you is this living water inside of you will well up in such a way that you'll find and you'll have this connection with God that'll, that'll change and transform your life. It's not about a place. It's about that connection and relationship. Again, Jesus takes what she asked, and, and he, he goes back and says, here's my answer to you here. But, but at the same moment, when he responds in that way, he's also telling her, forget the labels. You, you've labeled everything. You, you've said this is right and this is wrong. You've labeled that. And God has said, no, forget those labels. It's bigger than that. It's about me and that relationship with me. Again, for us, I think many times we have to be reminded we've got to forget the labels. That, that you and I in our lives, we, we carry these labels around with us. And so many times it's connected to our past and, and the hurt that we have and our struggles and our pain, our decisions, our choices. And we carry that with us and it's always there. And, and even like the Samaritan woman, sometimes the people that are around us, they, they begin to define us by the labels that we carry. And Jesus jumps in and says, forget those labels. Let them go. It's bigger than that. It's better than that. It's all about this relationship with God. 
What matters is that we're connected to God. Here's her response in verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. It's funny because what does she do? She plays the sounds good, but I'm not ready card, right? That sounds great, dude. I think you may be a special person type guy, prophet, but man, I'm just not ready to have that conversation. Later on, later on, I'll deal with that. Later on, we can talk through that. In 2007, market research group did a study and they found that in the United States there were 50,000 full-time and part-time professional coaches, executive coaches. These coaches uh, flow from anywhere between, um, you know, your, your, your life, helping you with your life, relationships, dating, finances, marriage, career, business, whatever it may be. One of the fastest growing industries in the United States at that time was about $14 billion per year. But, but here's the question. Why do we get coaches? Well, one, we're frustrated, aren't we? We're frustrated in the place that we are. We're, we're here, but we want to be over there. We're here, but we want to move in that direction. How do we get there? I don't know what to do. And so we hire these individuals to jump into our life to tell us, here are the steps that you need to take to get you from here to there. We're, we're frustrated. But also, we want a better life. We're not satisfied with being right here. There are goals that I want to achieve. There's a place that I want to be. There, there's something I want to do with my life. And that's the place I want to get to. That's, that's where I want to end up. And so these coaches come in and they help us take those steps to a better life. And, and many of us in this room have, have had coaches before that have helped us. I've had a couple in my life. And you know what? They've helped me from the place I was to the place I wanted to be. But wouldn't it be funny after we spent thousands of dollars countless hours and your coach says you're good you're ready go live your life take those steps make a difference achieve those goals and you look back at that individual and you're like yeah I don't think I'm quite ready to do that yet see I think we do that in our lives don't we when it comes to who we are spiritually here we have this this book called the bible and some of us spend time in it some of us don't I get that and we come to church and we hear about it and maybe you you read a little bit or hear a little bit here and there Maybe you, you grew up sort of in a church environment. You, you've got some connection with God, but, but you, again, you've you got all these data points that you're starting to pull in. And, and so you know, you know your next steps. But what do we do? I, I, I'm frustrated with my life. I, I, I would like a better life, but you know what? I know the steps I need to take to get from here to there, but I'm afraid to, to take those steps. And in fact, I got some things over here I need to deal with first. And there's some things happening in my personal life that aren't quite right. There are some decisions that I've made in my life that I'm still paying for. And you know what? I'm going to deal with those things first because I'm not quite ready to take the steps that I need to take to follow Jesus. Are we any different than the Samaritan woman here in the story? She's like, I'm not quite ready yet. You know too much. You're delving too much into my past and who I am. I'm not ready to take those next steps to grab that living water. But but what happens here in our story? Look at verse 26. Some of the most powerful words in Scripture. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. I'm that Messiah. I'm the one that has that living water. I'm the one that can keep you from feeling thirsty all the time where you're out trying to find the, the, the quench to that thirst through the relationships that you've sought and you've been a part of. I am he. 
Do you want to know who Jesus is to us? Jesus is freedom. Jesus is freedom. And so many times we are stuck and frustrated and we want a better life and we're imprisoned by our past, we're imprisoned by our choices, but Jesus jumps in and it's like, I've got something for you that'll break you free from the bonds that you find yourself stuck at. I've got something better for you. You're looking for, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, your finances aren't where they want to be. Your marriage is a mess. Your kids won't listen to you. Your spiritual life is struggling. Look, you're going out in all these different places trying to find an answer to that, trying to quench that thirst. All you need is me. I am he who sets you free. See, there's so much power in that. And I can't even imagine, as this woman is sitting there listening to Jesus talk to her, as she hears those words, and he says, I am he. I wonder what happened in that moment with her. I wonder what she's experiencing right then. Well, I think we have a pretty good idea. If we skip down to verse 28, here's what it says. And leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. We don't have a moment where there's this conversion thing that happens, do we? We don't, we don't see that, but here's what we do see. Something has changed inside of her. Could it have been that she accepted that living water from Jesus and now it was welling up in her in such a way that she had to do something with it? She, she had to move forward with it. Here's a woman who went out and got water at noon every single day alone because of the community around her, made fun of her. She was an outcast. It was because of the decisions that she had made. And yet now she leaves that water jar there. She goes to town. She's like, hey, I, I think I've found the one that we've been looking for. What would make somebody do that? The only thing I know is that living water inside of them. Because when Jesus said, I am he who set you free, that's the moment where I think she finally felt freedom that she had never felt before in her life. But that's what Jesus does for us. If we accept that living water and we drink it down, it transforms us. It changes who we are in such a way that we finally realize that I'm free. And that living water wells up in us in such a way that we can't help but to let it out, to share it with others. I am he who sets you free. Jesus is freedom. But what does that mean for you and I? What are the next steps that you and I can take to understand what that freedom looks like for us? I have three things I'm going to invite you to do today. Three next steps. The first one's just simple. It's just remember that we have been set free. If you are a follower of Jesus, sometimes we can forget that. Sometimes we can go back to and revert to who we were in the past. But Jesus sets us free. We're free, and we need to remember that. Maybe for others of us here, we're not followers of Christ, and we are stuck, and we're frustrated with our life, and we want a better life. Let me tell you, you can be set free, and you only can get that through Jesus, who says, I am he who sets you free. So our first step is just remembering that, that we're free through Jesus. The second step is for those of you who 
who you've heard, you know what you've got to do, you keep playing the I'm not ready card, you keep trying to change the subject, but this morning I'm going to challenge you in your next step to, to be baptized, to take that step of, of baptism, to say, okay, I've been holding on too long, I've been making too many excuses, now it's time for me to take those steps toward being who Jesus has called me to be, and to finally be free, because listen to me, I can't imagine anything more beautiful Anything more symbolic than baptism when it comes to being set free, right? Because there we are in that moment. We're, we're standing in that water and we're who we are. Our past, our hurts, our pains, our struggles, it, it, it has defined us. That is the label that we carry. In that moment, we go underneath that water and we come back up. And you know what? You're free. Amen. You're free. Now, does that mean all these issues and problems go away? No, it doesn't. What it means is that for the first time in your life, you're free. And you can begin to heal and move forward and deal with these struggles with Jesus there with you. And the other thing is, when you do that, you're going to have that living water welling up in you in such a way that you're just going to have to share it. And you'll change other people's lives because of it. And so if that's the place that you are in your life, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, on our Journey Church app, you can hit the sign up button and it says baptisms at the journey. You can go on there. On March 25th, during our 11 o'clock service, we're doing a, a baptism class here, downstairs in the teenage room, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. It's a great place just to hear questions and ask questions and understand why we do what we do in terms of baptism, and so we invite you to be a part of that. You can, you can mark that on that app and let us know, and we'll contact you. Um, you can also fill out the connection card and say, hey, I'm interested in the baptism class, but here's the other thing we're going to do. On Easter Sunday, there's also going to be baptism Sunday. And so we're inviting you, if you're like, I got to do that, I've got to take that step. You don't have to come to that class, we can just talk. And you can be baptized that day. Again, I can't think of a better day to be baptized than on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. We're truly, we, we celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ. We'll take care of the t-shirts, you just bring some shorts, all right? We'll even have some towels for you. But what did it look like for us that day to just say, hey, I, this is a step I'm going to take spiritually. And then here's the third next step that I have, and this is for all of us. Here's what I want you to do. If you've got your phone, because I know you all do, you're checking scores and trying to figure out your, your brackets for this week, but if you could pull out, pull out your phone for me right now. I don't have mine at this moment. It's Facebook Live. Hey, Facebook Live people, it's good to have you today. Um, but pull that out. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go on your alarm app, and I want you to open it up. And I want you to set an alarm for 4.26 p.m. every day between now and Easter Sunday, all right? 4.26 p.m. Now, if you don't know how to set that up on your, your phone, we've got millennials that are part of our church. <laughs> we've got, we've got three-year-olds downstairs that could probably set it up for you. So we can hook you up. Don't say, I don't know how to do this. But 4.26 p.m., and it goes back to what we just read here in John 4.26. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am the one who sets you free. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. 4.26 p.m., every single day between now and Easter, would you pray? And here's what I want you to pray. Pray first that you're reminded that you've been set free. And then your second part of this prayer is pray for those people who are not free, that are still imprisoned by their past and their hurts and struggles. Pray that God, through this living water, would begin to change hearts. And then I want you to pray for those that need to be baptized and need to take that step of faith in baptism. And then the last thing I want you to pray for is pray for Easter Sunday. 80% of people say they would attend church if they were invited by someone. 
which means people are not being, there's an alarm going off already. Some people are not invited. Lots of people are not invited. The people that don't go to church in your community, in your neighborhood, probably think, hey, I probably should go to church on Easter Sunday. Where should I go? Invite them. But I want you to pray about that over the next four weeks, three weeks, whatever it is now. But I want you to pray for that every day, 426 p.m. through Easter. Here's the cool part. This gives me chills. If everybody in this church is praying at the exact same time, every day for the same things, what can God do with that? You ever thought about that? That we're all praying the exact same prayers at the exact same time, every single day. You're in the middle of a meeting at the Pentagon, and your alarm goes off, and you're like, hey, keep talking, but internally you're praying. Or you're at home chasing your kids around, and you're like, oh, the alarm's going off, and you're, you're praying for the same things. Or you're at work, you're traveling, whatever it may be. But all of us at the same time, at 4.26 p.m., every day between now and Easter, are praying. What could God do with that? Well, I think that's a lot of living water. It could be spread out, welling up inside of us, that can impact lives and transform us in this community, not just for now, but for eternity. Jesus is freedom. Do we accept that? Will we hold on to that? Will we let it change us so that we can be transformed and the world around us can be transformed too, just like we see in the story of the Samaritan woman?